Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Can there be too much of a good thing? Yes, indeed, if we're talking about fertilizer for your plants. In fact, too much fertilizer can actually reduce your production of fruits and vegetables. Professor Debbie Flower tells us why. Every state in the union can grow table grapes. And this month, you just might have too many grapes, and they're waiting to be picked. So unless you're a professional bird feeder, you may want to save those grapes for yourself by making raisins. We get tips on how to do that from a master gardener. With all the stuff that's happening around us these days, we need to be transported more often to our happy place. Not only is a garden the happiest place on earth, sorry Disneyland, but if you have plants that produce enticing aromas, those delightful smells can calm you down and send you to a peaceful place. It's all on episode 44 of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, and we're going to do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. to answer your garden questions here on the garden basics podcast and i always like to bring in the big guns to answer the questions here and that would be debbie flower college horticultural professor retired who who knows a lot and is willing to share it with us and we appreciate her presence via the telephone to help us with these questions and debbie marion has a question about her string beans that are on a trellis that she says they're doing great, except I have had only five string beans. I don't think that's doing great. Uh, she says there are flower. <laughs> she says there are flowers all over. She mentions using a fertilizer. I won't mention the brand name, but in my mind, it's always a miracle if anything grows with uh, this fertilizer <laughs> because there's just so much nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium in this particular water soluble fertilizer. A lot of salts. And if we put too many salts, uh, salts are charged particles. If you put two ions, plants absorb their nutrients as ions. You put too many, actually a salt is something that dissolves in water. That's a definition of salt. But plants absorb their nutrients as ions, which are charged particles. And if you put too many salts, too many nutrients in the soil uh, of, of, of that contains plant roots, Plants can't absorb the nutrients. There's so much salt that they actually ooze the their contents of their uh, vascular system out into the soil. The whole direction of movement of water reverses, and the plant puts the water out into the soil instead of absorbing it into the plant. That's a process called osmosis. If you're making a cucumber salad, sometimes the recipe will say to slice the cucumbers and put them in a bowl, add some salt, and let that mixture just sort of sit uh, for about an hour. Then you come back and you'll find that there's a puddle of water under the cucumbers, and that is the osmosis process working where the salt on the outside of the cucumber uh, causes the water in the cucumbers to come out, and you pour that off, and then your salad is less mushy. Hmm. That same thing can happen around plant roots with high what we call high analysis fertilizers, fertilizers where the numbers on the bag are uh, double digits. 
Are you suggesting that if you use these um, high-energy fertilizers that have double-digit NPK in them, that uh, after fertilization you may want to uh, uh, water the plant again to push that fertilizer down? Well, you certainly don't want to apply them too often. You don't want to mix them any more um, uh, concentrated than the the directions recommend. In America, we often think little is good, a lot is better, and that is not true with fertilizer. If it says a tablespoon per gallon, then don't do any more than a tablespoon per gallon. In fact, it's much better if you do less. Apply it only to wet soil, so water first. Apply only as much as is recommended or less, and uh, apply it only as frequently as recommended on the label or less frequently. We've often, you and I have often used the term weekly, weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's particularly for containerized plants that don't have the uh, opportunity to send their roots long distances and collect nutrients from afar. But uh, if you are fertilizing your vegetable garden, it, the same would apply there. And it means fertilize every week and do it with a very low concentration of fertilizer, so less con- less fertilizer per gallon of water than is recommended on the label. So that's the other kind of weak, W-E-A-K, so weekly, weekly. But yes, if you've applied it and it's just you haven't done any of the things recommended, absolutely add some water to dilute it is your goal. You don't want the fertilizer very strong. I'm just wondering how many people actually use the measuring device that's included in those fertilizers. That can be a problem. Yep. And when the, when the analysis is very high, double digits, that then you're setting yourself up for problems. Well, now, one of the more common formulas for a water-soluble synthetic fertilizer in this one particular brand we're talking about that was used on these string beans, their all-purpose plant food has an NPK, a nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium content of 24-8-16. I like to see that eight. That's for sure, because there's a a lot of phosphorus around, and it's just wasted if it doesn't get used Mm -hmm. up by the plant and Mm -hmm. can end up uh, heading for streams and other waterways where you don't want it to go. But that 24% nitrogen, I, I just don't understand why you would feed a plant that much nitrogen when it would be very happy with, say, 5%. Right. 24, it's not 30, but it's still a very, very high number. And uh, in general, the only place I could see using something with that much nitrogen is if I were in a production greenhouse and I had a schedule to produce a plant in a very quick time. And then I would be babying that plant. I would be, uh, you know, the environment has to be just perfect. The pest control has to be just perfect um, because with that much nitrogen, you're going to have lots of new growth. New growth is very susceptible to many sucking insects. It's uh, you know, in the industry, I could see using it, but in my garden, even in my containers, especially in my containers, I wouldn't use it because it would build up so fast. It would cause problems with the with the plant it can actually cause burning. I burned a field. Well, it wasn't a field. My corn patch. <laughs> it gets bigger every time you tell the story. <laughs> yeah, it's like those fish stories. Right. I had a patch of corn. Uh, when I lived in Oregon and I applied ammonium sulfate, which is, uh, or it was ammonium nitrate. I think it was, I don't remember which it was. Uh, ammonium nitrate is not sold anymore in the U.S. as a fertilizer. And that is uh, 20% nitrogen. And I burned the corn. 
and corn is a high nitrogen feeder. I saw dead stripes in the leaves, and that's what it was from. So it's very easy to do damage to a plant when the analysis of nitrogen is that high in the fertilizer. I'm a little concerned about how dense this plant is. I wonder if she planted a lot of beans. You know, initially, the bean packet will say plant them two inches apart in the ground and next to the trellis. But then it usually goes on to say thin them to, in this case, I would think about a foot apart. Um, she may have just too much plant, too much bean plant there. And and the competition when you plant uh, vegetable-producing plants too close together, nobody will produce. And so the where we're seeing the flowers and the beans is on the, the end of this uh, scrum of plants where the, those roots have a chance to go off in their own direction and, and the competition is not so tough. Yeah, you were you were kind to give them 12 inches of spacing between the plants. Uh, I'm looking at the directions for one uh, variety of green beans here, and it says uh, sow seeds about one inch deep and three inches apart when the plants are a few inches tall. Thin them to at least 18 inches apart, for but that's for bush varieties and for pole beans. And I'm thinking this is a pole bean? Did I you? would assume so. It's certainly grown tall. All right. Well, that and they're saying four inches apart for pole varieties. So, see to me, that's too close to get. Yeah, I I wouldn't do that. Um, I I don't know why they put that on the packet, but four inches gives you room for a stem and two leaves and nothing more. But even pole beans branch, um, and so the, the giving them space so that they can get their own nutrition and spacing plants so that. If you get an insect, the uh, beneficial insect that's going to take care of it for you can get to that insect. There aren't so many hiding places. Uh, You don't trap water or moisture or dew or rain in the leaves, which can lead to fungal and bacterial diseases. Um, Spacing plants further apart, almost always, I can't think of, I'm saying almost, but I can't think of a case where it doesn't lead to healthier plants all the way around. And again, look at the planting space that these beans are trellised along a fence. It's that typical uh, space between a fence and a walkway of maybe 12 inches. Yes, very little root system space, yes. Right, and we don't know what was there before or what may be on the other side of the fence as well that may be True. competing uh, in down in the soil. True, and we don't know. We see there's sun on the fence uh, and shade on the on the concrete at the moment, but we don't know what time of day this picture is taken or what direction that um, plant is facing, but it could be getting tremendous amounts of heat from uh, sun period, but also reflected sun off of the concrete and off of the nearby fence. Fence is less of a problem, but, um, and, and that heat uh, can lead to uh, local temperatures being above about 86 degrees, 90 degrees and the pollen in the bean then will not be viable, will not have life. And so the bean will not produce. The flower may occur, but if the pollen is dead, then uh, you will never get a a green bean out of that flower. So maybe Marion, next time, maybe space the beans a little further apart, maybe try it on the fence again. But space the Mm -hmm. beans a little further apart and maybe uh, dilute that fertilizer you're using to maybe one third of what you may have been using. Yes. Measure. Yeah. And maybe that because too much nitrogen, as we've talked about, can inhibit the fruit production. 
Right. And there are certainly lots of leaves in this picture. Yeah. So, yeah. Sounds good. I like your recommendations, Fred. Thanks. <laughs> I'll send Marion a bill in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. But Debbie, you put us on the right track again. Thank you so much for your help. Oh, always my pleasure. Thank you. That's Debbie Flower, college horticultural professor, retired. We're glad to have SmartPots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. SmartPots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. SmartPots are proudly made 100% in the USA. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this program. My criteria, though, is, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, a product I would buy again. And SmartPots clicks all those boxes. They're durable. They're reusable. SmartPots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit SmartPots.com Fred. It's SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to SmartPots.com Fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next SmartPot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. There are several ways to reach us here at the Garden Basics Podcast. Call or text us at 916-292-8964. That's 916-292-8964. Email your questions and pictures to fred at farmerfred.com or post your garden queries at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page or at Farmer Fred on Twitter. We've moved on over to the grape section here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's September, and, you know, if you leave grapes out in the sun, they become raisins. And, Catherine Barquette, you've got how many varieties of raisins here today? We have four varieties of raisins, Fred, and we have about nine varieties. Exactly, and uh, many are seedless, some have seeds, and I would hope that these raisins are seedless. The ones we have are seedless, but you can make raisins out of grapes with seeds. Imagine putting them into an oatmeal raisin cookie. It just adds a little crunch. (laughs) So you can bite into them. Yes, yes, absolutely. So how did you make these raisins? Well, you know, raisins can be made in three ways. Uh, The sun is a wonderful way to make raisins, and the industry itself actually puts the, the raisin clusters out on big paper trays in between the rows, or they let them dry right on the vine. And if people come up, they can see that starting to happen here on the Thompson Seedless, where some of the clusters are drying into raisins on the vine. But we should also point out that all of those raisins are in bags, to keep them from the birds. Exactly. The third way you can make raisins is to use a mechanical device like a dehydrator, and we mm-hmm. have one here to show people. Okay. And you can you can fit a lot of raisins in the big ones, and you and here's the process you go through. You pick the grapes, make sure they're ripe, mm-hmm. and then you wash them underwater. You don't put them in a pot of water because if you do that, any bacteria or anything that's on the grape itself will still be in that water. So you want the water to go on through and wash everything off. You take the little stems off if they're sticking on and then you do what's called checking. And checking is when you plunge the grapes into hot water 
for 30 to 60 seconds, or you can go a little longer, they're very forgiving, and then you plunge them into ice water. Isn't that called blanching? It, it doesn't actually blanch the, the grapes. They might get a tiny bit lighter, but you can't really see that. Uh, but what it does for grapes is it splits the skin, and then they dry much more evenly and faster. That would be easier than cutting them in half. Yeah, and cutting them in half, I tried that, and you get a really flat raisin. You want some depth to it, some chewiness. Then you let those dry on paper towels, and then you put them in your dehydrator, and you turn them on to a temperature of 135, and it takes 24 to 48 hours, maybe even a little longer in my dehydrator. Now, people's ovens or dehydrators might differ a little bit. So many things that you put in the dehydrator will start off at a higher temperature, and then after an hour or two, you drop it to a lower temperature, but this is a constant 135. That's correct. It's low and slow. And then how do you store them? You store them in the freezer, and I'm glad you asked that because the freezer has a pasteurizing effect where it will continue to make sure that no bacteria enter that that, uh, raisin and it will be healthy. Would you put it in vacuum-sealed bags? I do, yeah, or Ziplocs. Try to, you know, stuff the Ziplocs really full. Mm -hmm. All right, and probably in increments that the family will eat on a regular basis. You know, when I made the the, um, suffering Suffolk red, we call it, uh, raisins at home, I could not keep them on the counter. I was filling a bowl an hour, practically, and my boys just loved them. Uh, Well, yeah, they're teenagers. (laughs) All right, and they're sweet. <laughs> they are sweet, and you'll find you'll find a lot of variety in the raisins themselves. What varieties make for the best raisins? Well, I agree with you that most people like seedless, and the bigger the berry, the bigger the raisin. Um, if you get, uh, you're probably familiar with the Zanti currant that people use at uh, Christmas time to put in fruit cakes and things. That's a little tiny raisin, uh, so that can be used too. But I prefer the large ones and really they all make excellent raisins it doesn't matter what you have I'm gonna nail you down on this Na- name some names here of some big grapes that we can grow here that make good raisins well the Thompson seedless is the number one growing raisin in California and California is the raisin capital of the world I like to say particularly the Fresno area um, but uh, the 80% of raisins are Thompson seedless so that's definitely a good one we haven't tried this sweet scarlet, but it's an excellent uh, sweet red grape, and I think that would make a super raisin. The reason we haven't tried it is it's new for us, Mm -hmm. just the third year, so we have a fresh cluster. Two other popular homegrown varieties in our area are Ruby and Flame. Do they make good raisins? Excellent. They're excellent raisins. We have four here for people to try. Let's see what they they are. We have the Summer Royal, the Tom Cord, the Muscat, and the black emerald. I would think the muscat would have the seed. Muscat does have a seed. Well, I got a taste of raisin that has a seed in it. Good. Try that. Would you hand me one of those, please? Just, just pour it in my hand and let's see what happens. If I start choking, I know who to sue. Um, I don't taste any seed. 
What happened? Well, sometimes the seed pretty much dries up in there with the raisin, mm -hmm. particularly if it had an insignificant seed. The tom cord doesn't have seeds. Uh, try the black emerald. All right. The black emerald. All right. Black emerald, very tasty. It is good. And I forgot to mention, people ask me, how do you know when they're ready, when the raisins are ready? You do it by feel. Of course, you can taste as well, but by feel, they have a nice little rubbery feel. They're not hard yet. Okay, I, hard would be too late. Yes, hard and would be And what would be too soon? Too soon is if they stick to your fingers mm. when you touch them. There's still a lot of oozing of the juices coming out. All right. But again, that was at 135 for 24 hours or a bit more. Yes. In, in my dehydrator, it takes 48. Okay. All right. There you go. Something to attract ants. Oh, no. But it's, it's grapes that you make into raisins, and it's a tasty treat. And keep them in the freezer, bring them out, and you've got a year-round treat. Exactly. Put them in your kids' lunches if they last that long. Yeah, if they or your breakfast cereal. That's right. Excellent. Catherine Barquette giving us the lowdown on raisins here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Thanks for a few minutes of your time. Thank you, Fred. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. And you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. We have links to all our social media outlets, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, a link to the FarmerFred.com website. That's where you can find out more information about the radio shows. You remember radio, right? Now, if the place where you access the podcast doesn't have that information, you can find it all at our home podcaster, Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout.com. Just look for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. You'll find a link to it in the show notes. Finally, during these, shall we say, uncertain times, let the garden be your natural Valium. A place for you to go to relax, enjoy, and smile. An oasis filled with tasty treats and eye-catching flowers. But don't ignore making your other senses happy as well. And I mean your nose and your ears. Really? A show for the nose? Well, let's talk about that. The familiar aroma of a fragrant flower or a crushed leaf of a fragrant plant can transport you back in time. It's an instant vacation to your happy place. Put those fragrant plants where you will enjoy them the most, maybe right outside your front door or your backyard patio. I'm sure you're familiar with fragrant roses, and among the fragrant roses, try the David Austin line of roses. Many of you may have gardenias with their perfume-like aroma every spring and summer. Well, here are some shows for the nose you may not be aware of. All of these will do well here in California. And if you have a mild climate where you live, I bet many of these will do well there, too. Star Jasmine. It's not a true jasmine, but it's a popular evergreen twining vine. It's most noted for the fragrance of its small white flowers in the spring. It can be used against a trellis or as a spreading ground cover. It does well with afternoon shade and regular water, and star jasmine are very attractive to bees. Now, just to make sure there is no confusion, the botanical name for star jasmine is a real tongue twister, Trachylospermum. I can't even say it. Trachylospermum jasminoides. I'll say that again because <laughs> it's fun. Trachylospermum jasminoides. 
One of my favorite shows for the nose is the banana shrub. Now, I'm not talking about a banana plant that grows something you peel and eat. The banana shrub is actually in the magnolia family. It's a, The botanical name is Magnolia figo. It's an evergreen shrub. It has small yet very fragrant pink or cream-colored flowers during mid-spring. Now, why is it called a banana shrub? Well, one whiff, and you just might be reminded of the aroma of juicy fruit gum, which has kind of a banana scent to it. One of my favorite plants for a shady area, especially right outside a door, is winter Daphne. Daphne odora. This evergreen shrub solves two vexing garden problems. It's a plant that thrives in full shade, and it produces fragrant blooms in the dead of winter. Winter Daphne, it'll do well in milder areas of the west and the south. A plant that does well anywhere is tuberose. The blooms of this perennial tuber, which is a native of Mexico, will fill your backyard with a heady scent during summer evenings. It has grass-like leaves that can get to three feet tall, but the white tubular flowers, which are clustered at the top, have this delightful aroma. It's a good choice for containers, so you can move it indoors if it gets too cold and then set it back out when the weather gets warmer. The tuberose needs regular water to look its best. Another one with a name that describes it all, Sweetbox. It's an evergreen shrub for shady areas. Sweetbox is at its most fragrant during late winter and early spring. And the botanical name for Sweetbox is Sarcococca. There's plenty more shows for the nose I don't have time to talk about, like Winter Sweet, White Evening Primrose, Flowering Tobacco, or Sweet Olive. But don't forget the evergreen shrubs and herbs that can provide an enticing aroma when their leaves are crushed. And that includes Sweet Bay, Rosemary, and Cilantro. Now, what's this about a garden show for the ears? I don't know about you, but whenever I hear the buzzing of a bumblebee or a native bee or the quick wing flapping of hummingbirds, I get a big smile. And I bet you will, too. By the way, to attract native bees to your yard, just put in native plants. Among the general plants that bees like, the list includes catnip, oregano, cosmos, rosemary, lavender, sunflowers, bottle brush, and a lot more. Hummingbird attractive plants are everywhere. They love any plant with tubular shaped flowers. My favorite right now is the flowering maple, the abutilon, which thrives in the warmer areas of most of the sunbelt states. Other hummingbird attractive plants include lavender, hibiscus, just about any variety of sage, bottle brush, the butterfly bush, citrus plants, the flowering crabapple tree, lantana, aloe vera, begonias, fuchsias, columbine, coral bells, daylilies, gladiolas, impatiens, hollyhock, the Peruvian lily, the alstroemeria, petunias, snapdragons, zinnias, trumpet vine, morning glory. Well, you get the idea. Hummingbirds like a lot of plants. More information and links about the garden plants that are a show for the nose and the ears is available in today's show description for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. You better believe it, a garden is a treat for your eyes, but don't forget about pleasing your nose and ears, too, when you walk out into the yard. Say, be sure to leave a comment or rating of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred wherever you get your podcasts, and please share it with your garden friends. I appreciate it. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's available just about anywhere podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and uh, hey Alexa, play the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, would you please? 
Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments.